the best way to think about it, and I had a um, executive coach, one of my greatest mentors, who always told me this, worry less about whether you made the right decision and more about making that decision right. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Each week, we're talking to women playing at the top of their game. So how are they doing it? Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. Sarah Robo Hagen, the CEO of Flywheel Sports and the author of Extreme You, welcome to No Limits. Oh, it's awesome to be here. And I like I like the things that come after Extreme You in your title. Step up, stand out, kick ass, repeat. That's right. <laughs> um, it, it definitely it definitely got me interested and engaged right from the get go. I want to talk a little bit about your past, your background. Mm. So you have been an executive with Nike. You worked mm-hmm. for Gatorade. You worked for Equinox. You've worked for Virgin Airways. <laughs> it's a bunch of stuff. <laughs> well, it is a lot of stuff, and yeah. also the titles that people have called mm. you. Oh, um, yeah. A lot of places that write about you: Superwoman Undercover. <laughs> The Pied Piper of Potential. I think that's my favorite, actually. Me too. Why is it your favorite? I totally love that. When someone said that, I was like, that's amazing. Because I just love helping other people become amazing. It's just what I love doing. Yeah, I, that's that's actually, it's funny that you say that because that is why I really loved it. You've also been called mm. the most powerful woman in sports. Mm. It's crazy, isn't it? Like, Were you into yeah. sports as a kid? Oh, you know what's funny about that is that I have obviously been in the sports industry for a while and so people meet you and they're like oh you must have been an Olympian and I'm like um yeah no I like never made the A team (laughs) but I did play a lot of sports you know and I loved just loved playing and competing and being on a team and I think that's how I ended up in the sports industry really you grew up in New Zealand yeah when you were a kid what was your dream job it's so funny I wanted do you know this is you're gonna die when I tell you this I wanted to be a radio DJ here we are. <laughs> this is your shot, Sarah. This is it. <laughs> you've got the headphones on. You've got your microphone. Yeah, what do you want to play? What's the song, I know, Sarah? What's the song going to be? What it's would good. you play oh, if what? you could play one song right what now? What would it be right now? Mm. I might go Eminem, Lose Yourself. I'm in one of those kind of moods. Okay. This is now two times already on No Limits. We have Seriously? dropped Eminem Lose Yourself, which by the way is my favorite karaoke song. Love. There's no Makai Pfeiffer. This is your life. Come on. Times are hard. <laughs> okay, so I love that you chose that. Really wow. It's perfect. We're gonna have people who listen to the podcast who are gonna stop list. They're gonna be like, yeah. Enough, enough Eminem shutouts. <laughs> I but need... there's also going to be the ones who love him. Uh, totally. You need to come ride with me at Flywheel, and we will kick off with that song. Okay. That's I will absolutely do that. That <laughs> sounds fantastic. So you wanted to be a radio DJ. Yeah. You went to school. You studied in college. Marketing and international business. Did you have a sense that you were going to do something? What you, I mean, not even does close. anybody know at that point exactly <laughs> yeah. what they're going to do with Which it? Which is a great question, actually, because I think... I worry a lot about like college graduates today because everyone's like, you must find your passion immediately and start working in it immediately. And it has to be a perfect job. I was like, we didn't know in our 20s what we were going to be. And I do know that um, in college, I I went through college in the era of uh, these mega brands emerging. So Nike was one, Michael Jordan, Be Like Mike. Like I, and I was this kid on the other side of the world becoming obsessed with the American sports culture that was starting to sort of 
come towards us. And so I did have this slightly obsessive desire to work for Nike one day, but that was about it. Like, I can't say I ever really knew what my job was going to be or what direction, you know. And you were interested in, I read, you just wanted to travel. That's why you ended yeah. up working for an airline. airline. I was like, well, they will fly me out of my country. So that's kind of a good place to start, <laughs> basically, you know. So that was your first big job mm-hmm. out of college. Yeah. When you got into the work world, what were some of the big surprises? Oh, that's an interesting question. Well, let's see. I mean, when I started my first job, I was working for um, an airline that had been owned by the government and was being privatized because competition was being introduced into the category. So it was weird to, as a young person with all these great ideas to be in this environment where everyone's like, no, 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 we've always done it this way. It will never change because they had been subsidized by the government, so they didn't have to be competitive, you know. And it was a really eye-opening experience to learn very early on that you might have all the great ideas in the world, but you actually have to really work with others to try and get those ideas implemented. And they may not always be supportive or, you know, seeing why you're thinking what you're thinking. Now that you're farther along in your career, how do you approach that? What have you learned in terms of people management? <laughs> yeah, I think I actually think that is the single biggest skill that you need to learn because even when you're the boss and you could be the boss in like pretty big companies, but at the end of the day, it comes down to can you influence people? Will they come along with you on a journey to a place, a vision, a different place? And human beings, by definition, like it's scary to change, to go to different places. So you have to, you actually have to learn how to understand people who are different to you, understand how to get them engaged with what you're trying to do, listen to their point of view to improve yours. You know, if you can get those skills nailed down early, I think when you become the big boss, you have a lot more to stand on. And when you're the employee and you want to become the big boss. Yeah. As you have become. (laughs) What do you think the trick is? Nothing makes up for the the time and experience. And and I think that we all would look back to our 20s where we were all probably pretty impatient. And I think that's, that's a rite of passage. But you realize as you get older, I think you just calm down a bit and you go, we're going to get there in the end and just, just chill out a little bit and don't be so kind of aggressive and, and worried that if I'm not, at a certain place by a certain time that it means I'm not going to get there in the end. You know, The Extreme You, your book. Yeah. What, what made you want to write a book? You're already the CEO. <laughs> because I'll tell you where it all started is I, for most of my life, was an epic fail or at least didn't make the team or had average grades, you know. And I um, finally in my late 30s was when we I had led the turnaround of Gatorade, which, as you know, is a $5 billion business. So that was kind of a big deal. And I suddenly was like noticing when people would write about me in the media or if I turned up to do um, an event and someone introduced me, they would say all these great accolades. And I literally would be sitting in my chair feeling awkward and uncomfortable because I was like, but I got fired twice in my 20s. Does anyone know that? Are they going to find that out? And I was like... It's not the truth. And I suddenly realized like our culture of success is very much we love saying here's the amazing, perfect person on the pedestal who's achieved all this stuff. And we don't always say here's this, the mistakes, the failures, the learnings along the way. And that's why I was like, I actually need to write this book for young people 
to show them that every single person who's made it to exceptional levels in the world has had struggles along the way and it's okay you know so I bid I basically went out there and interviewed all manner of people from as you know from Condoleezza Rice through to Bodie Miller the skier to Sam Cass the White House chef and they're all from totally different walks of life but what I learned from all of them is that they didn't know in their 20s what they were going to become they didn't have a perfect resume the whole way up and that's normal and that's okay and I think we should be more honest about that journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I could not agree with you more. That's one of the reasons why I do this podcast because awesome. I just think that first of all, the the roadmap to success, whatever that is, it's it's so complicated, but when you're on the outside looking in, it's almost impossible to even imagine how it totally. all works. And I want to demystify that, but also break it down for people that it is not one, you know, upward trajectory. Totally. Like there are so many pitfalls and mistakes along the way if you had to pinpoint your biggest (laughs) the biggest mistake yeah what was it it's an interesting one I mean because funnily enough I I when I look back even the most epic mistakes I actually wouldn't change them because I really do think they helped you know drive me forward so like I mentioned, I got fired at the age of 26, um, mainly because I was so full of myself, so over my skis. And you like, were? Oh, yes. I was working How at, did you um, get so down to earth now? Oh, <laughs> because, well, getting fired is a good place to start. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I was uh, working at Virgin Megastores, which you would remember. Of which, course. When we used to buy CDs that went round and round from a retail store, right? <laughs> And the whole business was in decline because Napster had just come along. So it was a very stressful time for the business. And I had just come from working at Virgin Atlantic Airways, partying with Richard Branson at the Cannes Film Festival. I thought I was it. You know, like I ha- I got this down. Like everyone should listen to me. And I was so over my skis, like out of my depth. And anyway, so I get fired. So, but that is not to me the biggest mistake. The biggest mistake was the next job I took three months later was working at Atari, the, the video, video game <laughs> company. Like, let's just go there. I hate video games. Hate them. And <laughs> why I, like, did you take the job? <laughs> and I, because I was think I was just so desperate because I had to get a visa to stay in the country. I was so desperate, just anything to to stick around, which I guess that's why I say in the end it worked out because it taught me something as well. I got laid off from there. So now we're talking twice in a row I've been laid off from my job. And I think the lesson I look back is like you have to find an environment where you can thrive, like period. And in my case, like I went from getting fired to going to a place that I had nothing in common with. And therefore I was so out of my depth. I didn't have any confidence, et cetera, et cetera. So that was a big mistake. However, I wouldn't not do it again because I do believe now, like I went from there to Nike where I just was like a duck to water and took off that understanding both of those environments helped me go, okay, now I've got a fine tuned filter for where Sarah actually does. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you know? Because I think that's something that really, it's a struggle for, I mean, I've struggled with this question of how do I know on the outside looking into something that is an environment that I'm truly going to thrive in? Mm. What are the questions that you ask of yourself? What are the things that you look for? It's funny you say that because I was literally yesterday talking to um, our head of HR, Dana, at Flywheel about you know, interviewing candidates. And she was telling me how incredibly common it is for people to overlook negative 
red flags when they really want the job, when they yes. think, you know, and even not only when they want it, but when they're being told they'd be good for it. Because totally. I think that's part of the mentality, too. Totally. Like you're you're being flattered. So, yes. Yes. Okay, hey, I want to work with people who are yes. flattering me. That's so true. And and so I was asking her exactly what you just said to me. So how do you know the difference? Because it's funny, like I have definitely had experiences taking jobs where there were equal amounts of red flags going in. Yet one turned out to be extraordinarily great and the other not so much. And and in the end, I think the the best way to think about it, and I had a um executive coach, one of my greatest mentors, who always told me this, is he was like, Worry less about whether you made the right decision and more about making that decision right. So even if you get into a place three months in, it's a bad environment you still got to get something out of that experience. What's that going to be that you get out of it? And don't just sit there whining and complaining and becoming a victim. Instead, try and figure out what you're going to take away from this experience. And I think that's the best way to, to view it. Extreme You is so much about overcoming failure and mm-hmm. finding your way to success. Mm-hmm. What was the biggest surprise in, in the interviews that you were doing, the conversations that you're having as far as solutions go? Oh, as far as solutions go, um, I would say that the biggest surprise to me was how late in life some people actually finally figured out where they were meant to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there's a couple of stories in there f- for sure of, you know, one um, particular woman, Amrita, who like her entire career had gone down one path. And then at 35, she's like, this is not working. I actually want to be an artist and a singer and, and through a bunch of circumstances, changes direction. And she's really taken off. And it made me realize it's never too late. Like we have this kind of panic, I think, early on. It's like, if I'm not progressing up this linear path in the right way in front of my peers, I'm not going to get there. And actually, I think we don't realize that many people suddenly blossom quite late in life because a bunch of different experiences come together and make sense and they have sort of really come into their own. So that probably was the biggest surprise and almost reassuring. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I think it's also, even in this time, that there isn't such a thing anymore as, you know, people don't stay in one place for their whole career. So the idea of the pivot or finding a new thing, it's just much more natural. It's what people are doing more and more of. How did you make the transition to CEO? Oh, that's a great question, because I do feel like what I learned from from writing the book is you have to let things come to you. Sometimes when you force it too hard, you, you don't get what you're looking for. However, I do think you have to have in your mind that I want to, to get to a certain place. So in my case, I came up the marketing track, like I was a creative marketing executive and everyone kept putting me in marketing jobs, but I knew I wanted to be a general manager. I knew I wanted to be a CEO one day. And had I not had that foresight, the kind of machine of the environment of recruiters, et cetera, would have kept me in one place. And so I think you have to kind of know that, but Mm -hmm. you also have to know it based on feedback that you're getting. Because like a lot of, I was clearly emerging as being, sort of left brain, right brain, having, you know, the capability to operate at a more sort of global level. So I could see that that was the right thing for me. But how do you make the transition? I think in the end, you have to get 
very, very comfortable with realizing it's no longer about you. It's about, I love the analogy of the leader leading from behind, you know, like the shepherd behind the sheep. Like you, I'm a Kiwi. (laughs) (laughs) But you have to get really comfortable with your entire role is just bringing out the extraordinary in other people. And that that's a big switch from having rewarded the whole way through your career for what you personally mm-hmm. contributed. You, know? you, I thought you mentioned something really interesting. The executive recruiters were kind of pushing you in a different direction. Yeah. So I know other people who are facing this very question right mm-hmm. now where – they they want especially women they want to progress yeah. past that maybe like vp level yeah and it becomes really complicated to mm-hmm. say but wait i can do more than this thing yeah or it's hard it's not complicated it's just hard to make that case for yourself mm-hmm. and have somebody listen to it how did you do it when did you do it yeah this is a i have a whole chapter dedicated to this topic because it's such an important one and it's called get out of line because i do believe that there is a there is a time and a right way to make those leaps. And first of all, the environment that we're all in from sort of the last probably 10, 15 years, that sort of wisdom of HR has been it's the onus of me, the manager, to hold on to the employee. You have to career path for the employee. You have to hold on. Don't have these millennials leaving your company. You have to do all the work for them. But actually, the most successful employees are the ones that make it happen for themselves. And so – I think we have almost taught a generation of employees to to wait to be tapped on the shoulder instead of getting out of line. And what that requires is seeing an opportunity in the business where you have a unique skill set and you can see something in a moment in time and make it happen. So instead of just making the case, like you said, of here's why I'm qualified, you actually demonstrate it by mm-hmm. just stretching out, taking on an opportunity, bringing a new piece of business and whatever it may be that then no one can argue with you because you've actually just stepped right into the role. Good advice. (laughs) What's been the toughest lesson for you to learn? Mm, What's been the toughest lesson for me to learn? Honestly, I think patience and slowing down. Like That's actually what I learned a lot. I took away from uh, interviewing so many other people because – You know, my career has definitely been massive highs, flaming lows, you know, like, and I look back and go, I probably could have made it a little easier on myself (laughs) if I'd been a little bit more patient and just trust the process a little bit. And, And I'm still learning that lesson every day, actually. But it's that just knowing that you can't control everything and sometimes you just have to just be focusing on developing yourself and, and understanding that by doing that, you're going to get to the next place as opposed to just focusing on the end goal. Do you feel pressure as the CEO of Flywheel that you need to be like a workout queen <laughs> and you need to be in class at least once a day? It's so funny you say yes, but it's like, <laughs> first of all, I am a workout queen. So that's the good news. Like, good. I love it. But it's funny within Flywheel when I take class, um, What's unique about Flywheel is we actually track your ride as you're going. The co- the instructors teach to numbers. And so everyone can see your score on the talk board if you choose to put it up there. So I feel such pressure. I'm like, you're a, you, you ride with your score on the board. Oh, yeah, because I feel like if I don't, I'm a wuss. Like, right, but right. then I'm the whole time I'm like, <laughs> if I fall off the board, this is going to be really awkward. And it's so funny, like in New York, like downtown where the younger riders are, I'm like, Whoa, 
<laughs> so you choose a nice Upper East Side exactly. class Unless for if yourself. I hit the Upper East Side or the Upper West Side, I'm like, now I got this. I'm good. So depending on how I'm feeling. It's so funny you say that because I used to live on the Upper West Side Did in my you? gym. I always felt like I was in a nice place because the average age of everybody yeah. was slightly above mine. So it's all good. Now yeah. I live downtown. It's a lot harder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it gets you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you interviewed a lot of incredible people for this book. Is there anyone that you didn't talk to mm, that you yes. that's going to be in the 2.0 version? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll tell you the one person that I pursued and pursued and because she was in the studio, she couldn't make it was Lord. The New oh, Zealand singer. yes. Yeah. Because I just am so blown away by she her. She has an incredible voice. Beautiful voice. But for her age, her wisdom and maturity mm. is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And I just so deeply wanted to understand where did that come from? <laughs> what was it like partying with Richard Branson? Oh, yeah. <laughs> fun. <laughs> totally fun. He's an extraordinary man. And I feel so lucky that I got to work at Virgin at all because I think, you know, having the experience of – being in that incredible culture, like I think what he brought to both of the businesses I worked for of his was just the culture of we work hard, but we're here to really take care of each other, to have a lot of fun. And it was amazing. Yeah. How do you instill that I, mm. from a cultural standpoint, obviously, especially in a place like Flywheel? Yeah. That is so important. Massive. Like our entire business is culture. I mean, I think of our instructors that go out to sit on the bike and instruct every day. If they don't feel amazing, how can they deliver an incredible experience? And so I think it's all about like really caring about people and not just saying that, but really care. Like when I go to the studio, I love hearing people's stories and how did they come to this business? Why are they here? What do they love about it? And I think if people know that you care, that matters so much. What's the weirdest story you've heard from a from a flywheel coach where they came from you know what's amazing to me is increasingly how many have come from quite uh you know so traditional careers like I might have been a banker and I just started doing this in the morning and I love it and it just brought out a whole side of me and before long I was in the front row and then I wanted to become an instructor and I'm like that rocks you know it's a lot of those what are you looking for in instructors for the people who are listening who want to yes. work for you? We need lots more. So you do. For sure. So <laughs> we're, we're expanding. So please send us your resume. Um, but we, what do we look for is um, definitely someone who really uh, connects with a quite athletic mindset because we definitely attract a very uh, performance-focused consumer. Um, and then someone, it's, it is all about that like charisma of being able to really hold a room, the attention of the room, and just really throwing yourself into the experience in a way that really connects with the riders. I ask everybody this question, worst advice you have received along the way? I think the worst advice, I wouldn't say so much a specific example as numerous times when people told me not to take an opportunity that I really wanted to go after because it seemed too risky, it seemed misunderstood, whatever it was. Um, And I think looking back on it now and looking at what I learned from all the people I interviewed, actually when it comes to those big opportunities in your life, 
No one else is you. So they their gut doesn't say what your gut says because they don't have your passion, your skill set, your all of the above. And so I think I always believe in getting as much advice as you can from lots of people, but in the end you got to filter it all and really tune into what your gut is telling you. Thank you so much. Sarah Rabo I love this. Yes. Anytime. Come back anytime. <laughs> Be my DJ. Oh, I know. I will. I'm so up for that. Perfect. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of No Limits. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a review. It really does help get the word out. And don't forget, you can follow along with us behind the scenes on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat at Rebecca Jarvis. Special thanks to the team here at ABC that helps make this happen. Taylor Dunn, Michelle Bancardo, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, Steve Jones, Annie Osakwe, and Elizabeth Hecht. And join me next Tuesday for an all-new episode of No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis. Until then, take care, be well. We've got the exclusive view behind the table. What is happening here? It's just beautiful chaos. Every day, right after the show, while the topics are still hot, the ladies go deeper into the moments that make the view the view. To be honest, I was thinking about asking him for a foot massage, and then I I just froze. This is the best gig on TV. And you know anything can happen. That is what we do here. I'm not going to lie. The chair's a little small for my behind. (laughs) (laughs) The View's Behind the Table podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.